Today is special because it marks 200 episodes of the Women Developing Brilliance, the Spirit of Business podcast. Thank you for listening, supporting, and continuing the conversation after the show at the Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group. It's truly been an honor to meet and connect with powerful leaders, savvy strategists, entrepreneurs shaking up their industries, and female change agents using their platform to inspire. My guest today is Franklin Taggart. He is a brilliant coach and the host of Your Own Best Company. I enjoy being a guest on his awesome show, and we'll drop that link in the notes if you dig our vibe with one another. Franklin has coached hundreds of people as they navigated their decision to take their creative dreams more seriously. During our conversation, we unpack a secret perspective that can help make you an uncommon coach. Why we sit on our gold and what to do about it, how to turn realizations into your superpowers, ways to move the needle for creative entrepreneurs specifically, and how to fearlessly face your fears. I hope you have as much fun listening to this as we had recording it for you. Enjoy. Are you ready to scale your business in a way that's aligned with your soul and profitable? I'm Casey Rossi, a business and leadership coach. I've been a full-time entrepreneur for 30 years and love business. I help conscious leaders increase their impact and optimize their lives. Join me each week for tips and deep conversations on cultivating confidence, increasing your visibility, elevating your vibration, and leading with purpose without burning out. Let's go. Today, we are celebrating the 200th episode of Women Developing Brilliance, the spirit of business. And I can't think of a more kind and gentle soul to celebrate today than my guest, Franklin. Franklin, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Casey, I'm delighted. And I'm, I'm just, I couldn't be happier to celebrate your 200th with you. <laughs> thank you so much. I know the last time we chatted, which was a few weeks back, you had said, um, am I going to be invited? And I said, well, you're not only going to be invited, you're going to be the spotlight guest of the whole event. So I'm excited to dive in with you. I have a lot of questions because I love your approach and it just feels very warm and open and inviting. And um, I would love to hear in your words, what makes your coaching uncommon? I think the thing that I look at with with my coaching in particular, I feel like that I, I honestly, most of the time don't, don't look at my clients as people who need coaching. I look at my clients as people who already pretty much know some, at some level, they already know everything that they need to know. And I feel more like an explorer and we're just going to uncover it. We're going to dig it out and say, ah, oh, there's that gold that you know that you've been holding on to. Yeah. But it's like, I don't want them to come to me feeling like that they have some kind of a need or a lack. I want them to come to me and knowing that they, that they already have what they need. We just need to, we need to activate it or we need to enliven it. And that approach tends to be a little bit different than a lot of the coaches that I know. 
Yes, absolutely. I love the approach of curiosity. And one of the things that popped out at me is the um, thing that you just said where they're holding on to their gold. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, why do we do this? Why do we hold on to the gold? Because like you said, there is an inner knowing, even if it's deep down inside of us, that we have something to share and give and something that that's unique in our talent box. Why do you think that many of us sit on our gold? There are a variety of reasons, and we could probably have a whole podcast series just on that topic. <laughs> no doubt. I think the most common things that I see in my, my own experience, um, I've always been kind of a timid person when it comes to um, being bold and going out and, you know, offering things. Um, and I still have that, that trait and that tendency sometimes. But the timidity comes from um, a sense of inadequacy when I compare myself to other people. And I feel like that that's one of the reasons that I see very frequently with folks is that they're comparing themselves with others. And those other people may have been on the path longer. They may have been, you know, they may have actually been born with more skill. <laughs> it's like, yeah. who knows? We don't, we don't have any idea why those other people seem to be, you know, better equipped at this moment than we are or whatever. But I think that one of the things that I've always, you know, kind of struggled with is just a sense of, uh, just not measuring up to the people that I know. I remember even in elementary school, this being a problem where I would, I would kind of idealize all of my friends and just say, well, they're better than I am. So pick them first, you know? Mm. So I feel like that that's kind of one of the ways that I sat on my own gold. And it's, again, it's one of the ways that I see a lot of the folks that I know uh, coming forward. Another one that I see very commonly is that people really don't think that their gift is all that special. Yes. They don't feel like that there's much that's extraordinary about it because it's so normal to them. And that's one of the things that I've really learned in my own exploration of gifts is that your gift to you probably does seem pretty ordinary because you live with it every day. But to that person who needs it, that person who's, who's invoking it over there, Yes. It's extraordinary. <laughs> yes. You talked about noticing that you were sitting on one of your gifts. Did you have a specific pivot point or choice point where you decided, you know what, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to share this gift? I, I was, <laughs> I had a very long pivot point. It was called my forties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at the beginning of my 40s, I thought my life was just about ready to happen and go crazy. I had just released my first and only CD as a musician. I thought everything was going to be gravy. It was going to be awesome. I booked my tour and I was ready to go out on the road. Mm. And the day after my CD released, the person I was going to go on tour with called and said that they didn't want to work with me anymore. And uh, that was the beginning of a decade from some other place than heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so in that decade, I went through the birth and loss of a daughter. I went through the birth of our son, who thankfully is healthy and still kicking and is the joy of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, but yet it was still yet another big life transition for me. 
when he was about two years old, I started to have tendonitis in both of my arms and I couldn't play the guitar. So my music career was just totally sidelined. And then two years after that, I started to get really, really sick and um, my organs started shutting down. So my pivot was not something that I, th I think, hmm. I don't know that I would have chosen all of those things for myself, <laughs> but they made it necessary for me to think differently and to act differently and to be differently in the world. And one of the big realizations that came out of that was actually in the hospital, I had just had major surgery to repair a lung. Uh, like I said, my body was just shutting down at that point. And I, I was in ICU, and my friend who was a hospital chaplain came to visit me. And he, you know, he did his job. He, you know, he, he was comforting and did all that good stuff. And at, at some point in the conversation, I asked him how he was doing with his music, because he was a musician as well. Mm -hmm. And I, actually how I met him was through the music world. And... In the course of that conversation, our conversation went on for about two and a half hours. Now here I am on morphine in the in the ICU. I should have been nodding off at that point, but I was so energized by the conversation that I couldn't go to sleep afterwards. Mm. And it was like, yeah, I, I was probably in a lot of pain, and I, but I had I had no consciousness of that at all because I was just so energized by what had just happened. And I had been kind of playing with the idea of consulting and things like that before. But in that moment, I realized that my gift isn't music. My gift is something other than music. It can come through music, but it's not the music itself. And that was the big mistake that I feel like I had been making all along, was that I had put a limit on my gift that it could only show up in one way. That's powerful. That is powerful. Wow. It is incredible sometimes that we need many times, I think that bonk on the head from the universe of like, Hey, we gave you this signpost and then we tried to alert you over here, but let's really get the message through. <laughs> I think yeah. we can experience and relate to that. And, you know, you probably heard that there's treasures in our traumas. And I just like, that's coming up for me when I hear your story. And I think many of our listeners are going to be able to relate to a pivot point in their life with some situations that they were like, man, that was challenging. However, that is the impetus that pushed me to the other side. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, I yeah. know that um, you work with a lot of introverts. You've talked about yourself being introverted as well. Um, what misconceptions are there regarding introverted entrepreneurs and marketing? I think the biggest misconception that I see is that people assume that introverts are shy. And that's just not the case. Um, I've, I've, you know, I said that I was a timid person, but I don't know that I was a shy person. I've always been able to, you know, feel comfortable in conversations with people. And I've always felt, you know, fairly at ease in social circles. And I've always loved being on stage. That goes all the way back to when I was really very young. I remember being able to get up on stage and doing stuff that I probably otherwise wouldn't do, <laughs> you know? So I think that there's some misconceptions about introversion. I, I really feel like that the, the way that it was categorized early on by 
uh, Jung and uh, then by Myers and Briggs was the idea that introversion was a, a set of preferences about how you energize. Mm, I love that. And I feel like that that's really for me, that's the one thing that I, I find most true about my own introversion is that if I am in a, if I'm in a social setting with a lot of people, I, it's not five minutes before I go into sensory overload and I really need to leave. Um, and the other thing that I notice is that even if there are one, if there are one or two other people in the house with me at any given time, I'm more aware of, of them and it's difficult to focus. Oh, so, interesting. Interesting. Franklin, do you think that some people use the introvert label as something to hide behind? Certainly. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about all of these personality tests is that we always have the option at that point to use it as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm this, so I don't have to do live streams. I don't have to get up and do speaking events because that's just not in alignment with my personality and I'm being a little pokey with it. But yeah. um but yeah, continue. I'd love to hear your viewpoint on it. Well, I think the thing that's really fun about it is that you know, in truth, the only limits that we have are the ones that we choose. <laughs> it's like, no doubt. Um, no, I, I, there is a little bit of give and take with that because I still can't dunk a basketball on a regulation hoop, <laughs> but um, I can lower the hoop by golly. And that, that feels pretty good at this point. I, I need to lower it to the point where I don't have to jump, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I really feel like that, you know, it, when it comes to, the types of things that we're talking about with personality, that those limitations are ones that we adopt. They're not ones that we're born with. And um, for myself, uh, like I said, timidity is something that has been a challenge my whole life, but it doesn't mean that I have to be that way all the time. And I found other ways to work um, that, that are not timid. You know, I yeah. found places where I'm comfortable, like podcasting has been wonderful for me because it's given me an outlet to get out of my shell. Um, YouTube videos have been wonderful for me for the same reason. It's like it's a way for me to be visible without having to be in a room with hundreds of people. That's amazing. I love that workaround and it's effective. I was just recently listening to one of your virtual coffee breaks yeah. and you were speaking about simplifying our business. And I'm curious what you consider to be our most kind of like vital business essentials. It's a good question. Um, I'll speak from my experience more than anything else. Um, the most essential thing to my business is the relationships that I have with clients, partners, and um, anyone else who is remotely connected. Um, I feel like that the relationships are the structure of my business. And those are the things that I tend with the most care. And those are the things that I value most highly. So for me, the, the relationship work is central and essential. The other thing that I look at is that I feel like that there I feel like that we need to think more strategically, but the str strategies don't need to be complex. They don't need to be complicated. They need to be direct. 
they need to be like and I was talking about that in my video last night I was saying you know I've had several people come to me and they've been stymied by this idea of the ideal client and they've been working on worksheets that have taken them actually months to complete on the ideal client and I said well what if it's just that guy over there <laughs> <laughs> you know well and, their mind yeah well it's it they're so wrapped around the axle around this idea that they have to identify this ideal client and it's the same thing like if you if you identify your ideal client they're gonna be you know run into your door well that hasn't happened much either <laughs> now again if you identify that you want a red car you're gonna start noticing all the red cars so there is something to those kinds of exercises I'm not dissing them but I think that we give them a lot more weight than maybe we need to yes and maybe I think the answers sometimes are so obvious that we can't believe that they're that that simple absolutely and i think that you know i've fallen prey to this before in the past too where we're trying to perfect and we stay in our heads and we're overthinking we're trying to get it just right before we pull the trigger or take action and i do think that as many times as those marketing tools can be helpful when we're in them too long when we're kind of swimming in those waters too long and it's holding us back from implementing, I think that can absolutely keep us stuck as entrepreneurs and keep us in this creative avoidance where okay. we think we're busy, we think we're focusing on the most important things, but but we're really not. So I'm glad that you brought that up. One of the things that I was um, struck by slash impressed is I didn't realize that you did a daily show. So when I was like scrolling through and I was like, <laughs> Holy smokes, like this guy's on fire. That's a tremendous amount of consistency. So kudos for you Thank on you. many levels, like kudos for showing up for yourself and your audience. But I think also when I'm looking at leadership, kudos for modeling effective marketing and consistency. So that's amazing. What's Thank your you. secret? Well, it's interesting. This year was a uh, an eye-opening year for me. Um, it actually started last year. Uh, I realized that there were there were other people who were getting a lot more done than I was. Mm. And I was puzzled by that because it felt like I was working all the time. Well, what it was what it came down to was that I was in a pattern where I was consuming a lot more than I was producing. And I was counting that I was counting that consumption as work because it was like taking courses and it was learning things and it was going through coaching programs and it was doing all the stuff. But ultimately what happened was that I was doing all of that stuff, but I wasn't producing anything. And so what I looked at was what, what is my ratio of consumption to production? And, and in previous years, the consumption ratio was much higher than production. This year I made the commitment to flip that. And there were two things that I decided on. I want 80% of my time to be production. And I actually blocked that on my calendar. Amazing. Now production for me, that includes coaching, but it also includes that it's a podcast production, video production, course production, um, getting ready to start working on a book. I want this year to be the year that I break that, that consumption production ratio and turn it on its side. Now, the other thing that I made the commitment to do 
was to, to just release one video on YouTube every day for wow. the year. And that has been, I have had so much fun doing that. Now I've tried to do that before with blogging and I've tried to do that before with other types of creative output. I remember years ago trying to do that with songwriting mm. and ultimately those were difficult to carry out for some reason. But this, this video thing has been a lot of fun oh. and it was like, um, I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy that until I started doing it. And after the first month, there was this momentum that happened. I can see that. I love that. I love that you are committed to this vertical growth because I think many times as entrepreneurs, we stay horizontal and yeah. staying in that horizontal growth pattern, we really don't see incremental change even on a personal level. So that is incredible and inspiring. I'm sure that you pushed your growth edge a little bit, you know, to something that you maybe never even thought possible because that's a really big commitment. And now you've got momentum like you spoke about. So amazing. I love that. Yeah. What do you think the number one thing is that you found that has significantly moved the needle for creative entrepreneurs specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I really... There, there are a couple of things that come to mind right off the bat. I've done a lot of work with artists over the years and creative entrepreneurs. And the one thing that I feel like that I've seen most frequently is that they've been doing their creative work for years and there are still people within their inner circles that don't know about it. That's and telling. I, yeah. <laughs> And I really feel like that that's one of the things that, um, and I, I want to get away from the idea that it's tooting your own horn because it's not you that's on the market there. It is the work that you've done and the work that you've done is an embodiment of your gift, right? It's not you on the auction block. It's your gift. That's actually coming full circle and reaching a, an end that it was designed for. I love that perspective. That's the biggest education that I give to people is that your gift is given to you for a reason. It, it's, it's meant to have an impact on the world. You're not in charge of that. Mm. Now, whether or not you share it or not, you do have some choice about that. But one of the things that we need to do is to get out of the idea that you're putting yourself on the line and selling yourself. You're actually putting your gift on the line and asking other people if that resonates for them and if it does then being willing to say here <laughs> it's yours yes that yeah. that brings to mind i'm currently reading mark divine's book staring down the wolf and yeah. so it really brings to mind kind of facing that fear wolf you know of exposing yourself whatever whatever your gift is whether it's painting or speaking um how do you personally face your fear wolf? That's an interesting question. I think um, <laughs> um, I run away from it until I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. Yes, we can relate. We can absolutely relate to that. There are some times when I just have to be absolutely backed into a corner and have no other choice and then realize that it's not a wolf, it's a dog, and I love dogs. Mm -hmm. um, 
that has been a pattern of mine of, of just, you know, avoiding things that I think are scary until, um, until I'm faced face with them and realize that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And there are things that I can do. There are choices that I can make. There are ways that I can go here. Um, so that's, that's my pattern. The other thing that I look at is that I feel like strategy is not a bad thing. And for me, um, strategy when, when it comes to my fear is really not a bad thing at all. So one of the things that I can look at is that I can think back to my first time of diving off of a diving board and how scared I was of that. I was probably six years old and I was standing out on the back, on the, on the end of the diving board with my toes over the edge, shaking, not knowing if I was going to be able to actually swim to the side once I fell in or whether I would sink to the bottom and never come up. I didn't know those things, but one of the things that was really interesting in that time, I remember very vividly that I just broke it down. Step one, get on the ladder. Step two, walk onto the board. Step three, get your toes to the edge of the board. Step four, don't look at the water. Step five, plug your nose. Mm. But it was, it was that deliberate and I had to be that deliberate early on in order to just be able to, to just say, okay, I'm past the screw it line. I'm going <laughs> right. Yes. There's a point where you jump and you can't go back. That's a tremendous amount of insight to even recognize one, your pattern and two, the strategy, because we repeat what works for us. And so we have these running scripts, knowingly or unknowingly, strategies for doing everything, strategies for grocery shopping, strategies for our marketing, right? Like we have a very similar pattern. So that's a tremendous amount of insight to even understand that and to break it down. And what a powerful lesson for our listeners that it is amazing to have big audacious goals. And in order to face our fears, to break it down into these micro steps. So they're just doable, they're digestible, they're actionable. I love that. Yeah. I heard you say, if you have people's attention, that you need to make an offer. Yes. And that was a really like really direct and amazing quote. Can you tell us more? Because I know that sales resistance can be a big stumbling block for solopreneurs. Don't start with the sale then. <laughs> <laughs> start with an offer that's not the sale yet. It's like, um, and again, I, I feel like a, the relationship model is one that we can pay attention to here. Um, you need to make an offer that the relationship is ready to support. So for me, an offer might be, hey, let's, uh, let's talk more about this topic for a little while. <laughs> you know, I'd like to hear more about what you think about this. And it's like, that is, that's a legitimate offer at that point. I've offered to open the door for another level of conversation, another level of relationship, another level of connection. And that's what makes when it's time for the sale, that's what makes it possible. Right? So if I have someone's attention, I'm always going to be offering another door. It's like Monty Hall, you know, remember Monty Hall on let's make a deal. Yeah. Door number one, door number two or door number three. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But I really feel like that it's important, like even if even if you give somebody your business card, I think it's important 
even on your business card to have an offer there. Um, because it's like they're, they're taking that business card with them. And if all it is is contact information and you haven't given them a reason to contact you, well, why don't you give them the offer? And that's a reason to contact you. That's brilliant. Right. So it's, it's just a, a matter of keeping the, keeping the connections alive. And that's what my offers are. It's like, um, some of the offers that I put out on the table are, I do a free, um, microphone placement session for people who are doing a lot of zoom calls and podcasts, interviews and, and videos and stuff like that. They pay all this money for a great microphone and then they don't know how to place it so that it sounds good. You know, you helped me with that. Yeah. Which was great. And it really was effective because I was thinking that some of my um, issues were that my value was too high because I tend to project. And yeah. it was really all about the gain, which was just such a simple tweak, but it has changed the way that I show up on my podcast, that I show up on my Zoom interviews. I love that perspective shift because I think when I first heard that, my that quote of yours, my connotation went immediately to Oh, okay. What I think he means is put a call to action on our social media posts or, you know, direct them to the next um, buy now button. And yeah. what I'm hearing you say is that could be if that is um, where you're at in the journey with that specific person. It's not that you're discounting making a sales opportunity um, invitation, all. but it also could be let's have another conversation or here's another door that can open and further our relationship. So it sounds a lot like people first is a really strong core value of yours because you mentioned that relationships were really kind of the cornerstone of what makes your coaching uncommon. And now we're really circling right back to relationship marketing. Okay. So I would love it if you could leave like a final bright light piece of wisdom for people that are like, I've heard about relationship marketing. That sounds amazing. How do I adapt it more effectively in my business? Well, I really feel like that everybody has their own unique fingerprint style of marketing and that no blueprint that you find is going to be absolutely accurate for, for you. So one of the things that's going to happen is like, you're going to go out there and you're going to try these things and you're going to find that maybe some of them work a little bit, and maybe some of them work really well, but maybe there are tweaks that you bring to the table that are personal to you that are going to, going to put it over the top. So what I would say is that I think more than anything else that entrepreneurs need to be willing to explore the ways that their strengths can be leveraged, the way that their natural tendencies can be leveraged. Because if you just work with your strengths and your natural, natural tendencies in your marketing, you're going to make some great breakthroughs. You don't have to do everything all the time. Just do what you can do well and do it as often as you can. You're going to see results. It's, it doesn't have to be again. It doesn't have to be complex and complicated. It needs to be simple, direct, and it needs to leverage the strengths that you've already got. Perfect to discovering our secret sauce and then spreading the, the message, getting off of our, our gold <laughs> exactly, and, and sharing that. How can people learn more about you and step into your world? Well, um, my blog is franklintaggart.com and um, you can find everything else about me there pretty much. 
Um, the other thing that I'm, I've been fascinated with over the last year and a half or so is the whole idea of elevator pitches. Mm. So I've been, um, I've been doing a lot of work around elevator pitches because I've found that a lot of the formulas out there actually lead people down uh, a path that isn't horribly effective for introducing themselves. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of work on elevator pitches and um, I wanted to draw attention to that because I've just released a course about that called Elevator Pitches That Don't Suck. Oh, perfect. And um, that there's information about that as well on my, on my blog. Um, and more than anything else, I would invite people to subscribe to either my YouTube channel or my podcast, wherever they listen. Sounds good. I'll make sure to put all those links in. I love that you developed a course on elevator pitches because that is really door number one. That is really that introduction connection with people. And the better we can communicate who we are, who we help, and a little bit of our passion laced in there, you know, the more that, that our message grows, our network grows. So Appreciate thank you so much for being here, Franklin. You are a treat. I really appreciate uh, you sharing your wisdom with us. Casey, this has been lovely again. Every time we, every time we chat, it just lifts me right up and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you so much. And until next time, my friend, breathe joy. And thank you. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting the show to its 200th episode. I'm looking forward to recording 200 more for you. If you have topics of special interest, drop me a line at Casey at CaseyROSSI.com and let me know. I'm always happy to curate content with a purpose. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Until next time, breathe joy.